You're listening to Bible Prophecy Daily, a weekday podcast where Bible prophecy matters and matters greatly. Hello, my name is Mike Ufferman. Thank you very much for being with me here today as we go through the scriptures. And we are studying this concept of Christ yesterday, today, and tomorrow, or actually basically and forever. And so we've covered a great amount of ground in our past few sessions. I think we've got seven sessions under the belt. And uh, this very likely will be our final session in this series. And I thank you so much for your faithfulness to be working with me through all of the sessions. If you haven't uh, picked up the earlier sessions, I would invite you please to go back and listen to them. They're all available to you here. And so uh, here at Zion's Hope, there are a couple of things that are very, very important to us. Certainly, your salvation would be extremely important to us. We desire that you would know Christ. We desire that you would understand a very simple message that... Um, The sin of Adam has been passed down to all of us, that you are a sinner. Uh, There's no good thing in your own flesh. You can't get yourself into heaven. Uh, In essence, we'll say that God gave you a whiteboard as part of your life, and on that whiteboard there are black marks, and those black marks cannot be removed by you. The only person that can remove those black marks is the one who actually controls that whiteboard, and that would be God. And those black marks are the sin that's in your life. And you know just as well as I do that you've done things that you're not proud of. You've done things that you hope nobody will ever find out about. If you look at the Ten Commandments, you can probably look down each of those and see in some way uh, that you've probably done most of them. Uh, Maybe you didn't honor your father and your mother at a certain point in time. Uh, maybe, uh, Maybe you've even murdered. And even if you haven't murdered, Scripture says basically that if you've thought it in your mind, That's, in essence, the same thing as doing it. Not that you physically did it, and of course you can resist that temptation of of murdering that person, but even if you have murdered, and we see this in Scripture, that there are people that did murder people in Scripture, and yet they are still some of the most powerful evangelists that Scripture has ever identified, that we've ever seen in all of Christianity. So our first most important goal is that you would be saved. Please consider that you are a sinner, that Christ died for you, on the cross. And by dying for you, I mean that he took your place. You've sinned, and that sin is actually against a holy and perfect God. He's sitting in heaven, and he can't dwell with you in the same place where you have sinned. Therefore, there's a separation between you and him. And so, he knows that we're not perfect. He knows that that sin nature is in us. He knows that it's part of who we are, and yet he's made a provision that we can have eternal life in heaven with him in his presence and the way that he did that is he took God himself in the form of his son and he sent him to this earth to live a perfect life to show that it could be done and because he lived a sinless life he did not deserve to be crucified on the cross and yet he was and why was that because he was taking your sin and my sin and he was carrying it upon his innocent shoulders. He paid a price he did not owe because we owe a debt we cannot pay. And if we will but trust in Christ as our savior, if we will repent from our sin, turn from that. And if we will acknowledge that Christ is our savior and we will tell him that 
we would invite you into our lives and we would ask that you would help us to live the life you want us to live, that we would do those things that you would like us to do. Work with me from now on. You will be saved. Repent. That's the main point. Repent. At some point in time, after you've repented, consider baptism. Scripture talks about baptism. It's basically an outward manifestation of that death, burial when you're put underneath that water, and resurrection when you come up out of that water. And now a new saint, a new being through that death, that burial, the resurrection of Christ on the cross, and you're manifesting, showing that to the world that you, in fact, believe this. And so then the thing would be day to day, try to live in a way that would honor God. And so that's, again, the most important thing that we care about. But we also then are trying to um, minister to people of Israel to show them that the Messiah of Israel has already come. And that if they don't recognize who Jesus is, we intend to help them to see that. And so that's what Zion's Hope does. We have missionaries that are on staff in Israel. Uh, we have... Um, ministry there that uh, works amongst the people of Israel. And, and frankly, while we are a ministry predominantly to Jewish people, we want everybody to be saved. So we don't care um, who they are. They're either Jew or Gentile. We want both of them to be saved. And so we invite people to come to know Christ as their Savior. Uh, the one thing that we do acknowledge, too, is that Christ made some promises, and he made those promises from the days of old, made those promises from uh, the, the, in the garden. Uh, we made those promises that uh, one day he was going to come back. We, he made promises to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob about the land. He made promises um, about the lineage of where the Messiah would come from, and he's fulfilled all of those promises up until the first coming of Jesus. And then he also promised that he would send his spirit upon mankind, which he did at Pentecost. And so as we look at all of these things, then we have to understand that if he fulfilled all of those promises, literally, then he's also got some promises yet to be fulfilled. And those are promises that he will fulfill in the future. And the preeminent one is that he came the first time in physical form. He will come again the second time in physical form as well. And so we look forward to those days. And so as we're looking at Christ yesterday, today, and tomorrow, or yesterday, today, and forever, we can turn into the book of Colossians in chapter 3, and we can see testimony about this future Christ who is right now seated at the right hand of the Father, as we covered in our last session. And he's interceding on our behalf as Satan come and tries to cast disparaging remarks against us who are God's children. Christ says that I paid for that sin that they've committed. And so Satan be gone, step aside. This is one of God's children. And so we know, though, that there is a coming a day when he comes back in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 4. We see it says, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear. And that's because Christ conquered death by coming back to life and promised that if we would have faith in him, we too would one day come back to life. And this is why it says, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear. In other words, there is coming a day when Christ will appear again. Then shall ye also appear with him in glory. And so the day that he comes back... Uh, to this earth, to take possession of this earth, at some point in time there, there's also going to be 
a returning with him. Now, he will come and he will collect his saints. That's what this is talking about. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. And we call that the resurrection of the dead saints and the rapture of the living saints. And so we know there's coming a day when Christ will come again, based upon just this one little verse. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. And so he will come down. He will grab all of those who are dead in the grave, who are believers. He will grab all of those who are alive at that time. And the dead in the grave will be resurrected. Those who are alive at that time that are believers, they will be raptured. And we will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And we will return to heaven with him. And it says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. So as a child of God, he has given you the power through his grace to turn away from sin. And he would invite you to do that because really, and we know that we're sinners and we know that we will sin and we know that make those choices, we make those choices of sin. But really, that sin has no place in our life since we are children of God. And the wrath of God, it talks about here, for which things, in other words, that concupiscence and that idolatry and all those things that were just mentioned, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. We should not be children of disobedience. And praise the Lord when we are children of disobedience. That didn't sneak up on God either. And when Christ died 2,000 years ago, he knew that you would be a child who would accept him, but also that you would continue to sin. And so even the sin that you will commit in your whole life has already been paid for. In the book of Titus in chapter 2 and verse 11, here it says, For the grace of God which bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, and so scripture talks about, for by grace are you saved through faith. Again, as I mentioned just a moment ago, that grace is God working in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. If he didn't give you that grace, for by grace are you saved through faith. If he didn't give you that grace to have faith, you would remain his enemy for your whole life. And yet God has worked his power in you that you can choose to be a child of the king. Even now, if you've never done it, you can do it even now, a simple prayer. Christ, I recognize I'm a sinner. Christ, I recognize you came, you took my place, you were beaten, you died on the cross, you were buried in my place. It should have been me. You rose from the dead. You've made a promise that one day too, I will arise when you come and collect me. Have that faith. He's giving you that grace now, that power to even say that now, to reject those things that you've done in the past, to repent of those things and to become a child of the King. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. No excuses. Everybody's heard this. Everybody knows this teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. It's an evil present world, and it gets worse and worse by the day. But it says that we can deny these things. And then here in verse 13, it says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, another promise that there is a day coming that we can look forward to. And that day will be this glorious, 
appearing. That blessed hope is that the Lord is coming someday, whether you're dead in the grave or whether you're alive at that moment in time, the Lord is coming back. It'll be a glorious appearing of the great God and of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. So, in that future, what will it look like when he returns? Uh, we know we've got images of Old Testament. We've got images of the Gospels, of the life of Jesus. We've got images of his ascension into heaven. We've got images of, uh, uh, of Stephen seeing him in heaven, uh, images that, that Paul has conveyed uh, of him. So what will it look like when he returns? In Matthew chapter 24, and there are a few verses that we'll uh, touch on here, but in Matthew chapter 24, verse 24 is where we'll start. And it says, For there shall arise false uh, Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. This is what it's going to look like at the time that Jesus is going to come back. Sometime in this vicinity, in these events, this is what it's going to look like when Jesus comes back. There will be false Christs and false prophets. Now, I will say that, yes, there are people that call themselves Christ now. They're wrong. There are people that are, are false prophets trying to lead people astray. They're, they're, they've always been here. But it will be so, so, so obvious that there will be great signs that will be coming from these people. And I don't, I'm not talking about somebody says, I'm laying my hands on you and you're going to be healed. I'm talking about signs that will be clearly impossible, but that the power of Satan was upon them. Okay, so they're going to be showing great signs and wonders in so much that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. But we elect should be aware that those days are coming because here in verse 25, it says, behold, I have told you before. Jesus is warning us. We jump down to verse 27 and it says here, talking about the signs, for as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So it's going to be so obvious when the Lord returns. We don't have to wonder, did he come to Jerusalem and we just didn't catch it? It wasn't on the, on the nightly news? You know, did he come someplace and we just missed it? No, it's going to be so obvious. And you know you've seen lightning and, and the way it's just so intense. And this intensity will be magnified so much over that it'll be very clear that the Lord has come back. In verse 29, it says, And immediately after the tribulation of those days, and we know that midway through that final seven-year period of time that uh, many people call the tribulation, even though Scripture doesn't call it the tribulation for those seven years. Those seven years we refer to as the 70th week of Daniel. And you can look in Daniel chapter 9. Basically, that skeleton of time is, is identified in uh, chapter 9, verses 24 through 27 to give you the whole picture but here it says, and immediately after the tribulation of those days, this is referring back to verse 21 here in Matthew 24, where it talks about a great tribulation. And that's very clear, according to Daniel, that that great tribulation begins at the midpoint of that final seven years. So we're talking about three and a half years into this 70th week of Daniel. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, so those days will begin and they will be terrible. So three and a half years into that seven years and forward, then we're going to see the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And this is going to be a cataclysmic cosmic 
event that's going to be seen as everything is going to turn dark, even the sun, even the moon, even the stars, basically, as it looks as if they're falling from heaven. The powers of heaven shall be shaken. We know the scripture talks about a rolling back of the clouds and of, of, the, of the heavens. And then in verse 30, it jumps down and it says, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. So you want to know the Lord's coming back, just keep looking to heaven. You don't have to hear about the rumors and wonder if he's coming back or not. It will appear, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. That's going to be then the glory of the Lord. The, as if it's lightning from east to west, it'll be seen everywhere across the face of the earth. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. Everybody on this world will know that it's the return of the Lord. Now, if you're a believer in Christ, you will not be mourning because they're going to, well, the Lord is coming back for you. And you are under great tribulation at that moment in time. And it says, these people who are mourning, they shall see the Son of Man coming. And so we are going to have another physical manifestation in some fashion of the Lord coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And so my simple description is that the entire, the entire heaven will light up with the glory of Jesus all the way around the earth. Verse 31 says, And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect, these are the believers, going to be resurrected from the grave, going to be raptured from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. An amazing day. A day that Christ has promised, and it will happen. It is yet to happen in the future when there will be a manifestation of Christ, just the same as he was yesterday. He is today seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will one day be in the end. So at the end of the trumpet judgments, so we've got the, the uh, seals that are going to be opened in chapter 6 of Revelation, and they correspond in Matthew 24. And then we move, we move into chapter 7, which is 144,000 of the 12 tribes of Israel that are going to be given a mark on their forehead. And then we also have a great multitude that shows up in heaven. That's the resurrection of the dead saints and the rapture of the living saints there. And then the next thing that we're going to see is silence in heaven for half an hour. Matthew chapter 14, we see that there are some angelic beings that appear to go across the face of the earth at that time with some messages but at the end of those seals, then they begin the trumpet judgments. And there will be seven trumpets that are sounded, and the last three trumpets are known as the woes. But at that last trumpet then, that last woe, Christ takes possession of planet Earth. And we would say, why is that a woe? Well, it's not a woe for believers, it's a woe for unbelievers. And so those three woes are intended to be pointed at unbelievers. But in Revelation 11, again, the physical manifestation of the Lord is kind of what we're talking about here. And it says, The seventh angel is going to sound, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Christ takes possession of planet Earth. And Christ will begin to reign now that those trumpet judgments are done, now that we're at the end of that 70th week, that seven-year span that Daniel's talked about, now we enter into an extra period of time of 30 days and another one of 45 days. In that 75-day window, in particular the 30 days, we at Zion's Hope believe that that is when the bull judgments occur. And that's when God literally wipes out all of unbelieving mankind. 
The only people left on the earth at that point in time will be those who are believers, those who have the seal of God on them. And we do see in Isaiah chapter 66 that even Gentiles who are not saved at the time of the rapture, Jewish people who are not saved at the time of the rapture, they will become sealed, they will become saved at some point in time for those who choose to accept what Christ has done on their behalf. But there will be a whole boatload of people who will blaspheme God and they will be the ones that will be wiped out as a result of those bold judgments. So that was in verse 15. Verse 16 goes on and it says, And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. And so we see that's where Christ now in the future will physically reign on the earth beginning at that point. And the nations were angry and thy wrath is come and the time of the dead that they should be judged. And so that judgment will be those bold judgments. Those who are dead in the grave will stay dead in the grave. Those who are unbelievers at that point in time will be wiped out and they will be sent to the grave. And so then verse 18 continues, and that thou shalt, shouldst give reward unto thy servants and prophets and to the saints and them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldst destroy them which destroy the earth. And so we see a very clear separation between those people. So then we move into the millennial reign now. At this point, we've got a new era that begins. This is going to be a thousand year reign under this time period of Christ. Between the um, bold judgments which wipe out all of unbelieving mankind in that 30 day period, we have another 45 day period, my personal opinion is that's when the Lord will reconstitute the earth. We'll probably see the tectonic plates move back together again to make one solid landmass now um, that all of the nations will be able to go up and worship the Lord there in Jerusalem at some point in time during the different feasts um, that the Lord will have even in that uh, millennial reign time period. Um, and we know that there are obligations that the nations have to go up and worship the Lord. There are consequences if they don't. But this is the point in time where the earth will be reconstituted, a new heaven, a new earth. And so then now we begin this millennial reign, this thousand year period of time in the book of Revelation in chapter 20. And it says, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. And so anybody that comes back to life before the millennial reign, Anybody that comes back to life before the millennial reign, they are part of the first resurrection. After this, the next resurrection will be only those people that are dead in the grave. Those people that are dead in the grave will only be non-believers. During the millennial reign, believers will not die. So in other words, when those trumpet judgments are done and the bowl judgments are done, there will be people that are still alive on the earth. Those are believers that came to faith after the resurrection and the rapture of the church. In other words, from the unbelievers of the earth, they came to faith. They will be protected by the Lord. His wrath will not, uh, will not, they will not suffer the consequences of his wrath. They may be caught and be beheaded. And the book of uh, Revelation talks about what happens to them. And, and so uh, once we enter, though, into that millennial reign, believers will not die. From heaven, the new Jerusalem will come down. From heaven, we who have been resurrected or raptured, we will come down. We will reign with Christ a thousand years. For believers and for those in glorified bodies, there will be no death. 
So the only people that can come back to life at the second resurrection will be those that are dead in the grave. And so this first resurrection is the one that brings everybody from the dead back to life before the millennial reign, plus those that have been raptured. And then we step forward, and during that thousand years, no believers will die. During that thousand years, only unbelievers will die. And it will be in large part because of their continued rejection of Christ. Those that first stepped into that millennial reign, they were believers. They survived out of the the, uh, bowl judgments. They're only believers, but they will have children, and those children have the sin nature in them just the same as their parents do. People in glorified bodies don't have that sin nature anymore. That's been taken care of. So these new children that are born during that millennial reign, those new children are the ones then that will possibly reject Christ if they don't come to faith. If they reject Christ, they too will end up in, in Sheol, in the grave. And then the grave is brought back up, resurrected. That second resurrection is what's also known as the second death. Okay, but blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. In other words, they came back to life before the millennium. On such the second death, that's at the end of the thousand years, hath no power. The people that are brought back to life at the end of the thousand years are the ones that are going to be cast into the lake of fire. Okay, but it has no power. The second death has no power. But they shall be priests, these people that are part of the first resurrection, shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So what happens after the millennium? We've got these people living a thousand years after the millennium. Well, as far as Christ is concerned, uh, in Revelation chapter 21, we see that uh, certainly he's been, uh, he's, he's going to reign for that thousand years. And we see that um, uh, John is carried away. It says, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from, from God. I believe that comes down at the beginning of the millennium. In Revelation chapter 22 and verse 3, it says, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him and they shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they shall need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. That's a long time, forever and ever. And there will be God the Father, there will be Christ, the same as he was before creation, at creation, as an angel of the Lord in life as he was conceived and lived in the womb of his mother Mary, as he was born and lived in this earth as a child and then as an adult, as he was beaten, as he was crucified, as he was buried, as he rose from the dead, all physical manifestations of God in this person of Jesus Christ, the Messiah of the people of Israel, the Christ, the anointed one of the Gentiles. And then we see what will happen in the future, that we will one day dwell with him and we will reign and we will live with him forever. Christ the same. Christ yesterday, today, and forever. And because he is the same, and because he said he was going to come the first time, we know he will come the second time. Because we know he's coming the second time, if you have never accepted Christ as your Savior, please do so now. 
Go back to the beginning of this session. I covered that in depth at the beginning of this session. You can be saved. You can be in the presence of God eternally, whether it's here on this earth or here in the New Jerusalem. You can be in the presence of God forever as opposed to being cast into the lake of fire, separated from God, and forever is a long time. And I would invite you, please, because his mission has been the same all along. First of all, to be glorified. Second of all, to be in a personal relationship with you and me. And third of all, that we might be able to dwell with him forever. Please consider it all carefully. Thanks again for listening. Thanks again for being part of this ministry, that we have the opportunity to share this with you. And perhaps you can even share this with some of your friends, your neighbors, your loved ones, your family. Maybe between you and I and the work of the Holy Spirit, we can get them to be with us in heaven for eternity as well. God bless you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Bible Prophecy Daily. We hope you learned something valuable today. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode. 